Chapter 18 of Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Six Years with the Texas Rangers, 1875 to 1881 by James B. Gillette. An International Episode. The American citizens of Socorro, New Mexico, during Christmas week of 1881, held a church festival. Mr. A. M. Conklin, editor of the Socorro Sun, was conducting the exercises. A brown and Enofrio Baca appeared at the church, under the influence of liquor. Their talk and actions so disturbed the entertainment that Mr. Conklin went to them and requested them to be more quiet, at the same time telling the offenders they were perfectly welcome in the church, but that they must behave. The brothers, highly indignant, invited Mr. Conklin to fight, but Mr. Conklin declined and again assured the two that they were welcome but must act as gentlemen. Abran and Anofrio at once retired from the church. After the social had ended, and as Mr. Conklin, with his wife at his side, passed out of the church door, Abran Baca caught Mrs. Conklin by one arm and jerked her away from her husband. At the same instant, Anofrio shot and killed the editor on the church steps. This foul murder created no end of indignation in the little town of Socorro. Scouting parties were sent in all directions to try and effect the capture of the murderers. However, the two Bacas managed to elude their pursuers and made their way into the Republic of Mexico. The governor of New Mexico at once issued a proclamation offering $500 for their capture, and the citizens of Socorro offered a leg amount for the murderers, dead or alive. The proclamation, with a minute description of the Baca boys, was sent broadcast over the country, and, of course, the rangers at Isleta received several of the circulars. In the spring of 1881, the county judge of El Paso County was Jose Baca, an uncle of the two murderers. He was also a merchant at Isleta, then the county seat of El Paso County. Captain Baylor's company of rangers was quartered in the west end of Isleta, about one-half mile from the public square. On receiving the New Mexico Proclamation, I set a watch over the home and store of Judge Baca and kept it up for nearly a month, but without success. We finally concluded that the Baca boys had not come our way and almost forgot the incident. However, one morning in the latter part of March 1881, Jim Fitch, one of our most trustworthy rangers, hurried back to camp from his letter and informed me that he had seen two well-dressed Mexican boys, strangers to him, sitting on the porch of Judge Baca's home. I at once made a detail of four men. We saddled our horses, rode to town, rounded up the Baca home, and captured the two strange Mexicans. I believed them to be the Baca brothers, and left at once for New Mexico with my prisoners. Before we had reached El Paso on our journey, we were overtaken by Judge Baca, who had with him an interpreter. He asked me to please halt, as he wished to talk with the prisoners. After a short conversation with the boys, the judge asked me what was the reward for the capture of Abram Baca. I replied, five hundred dollars. If you will just let him step out in the bosque and get away, I will give you seven hundred dollars, Judge Baca finally said with some hesitation. Subsequently, the judge raised the bribe to one thousand dollars, but I informed him there was not enough money in El Paso County to buy me off. So he returned to Isleta, and I continued my journey to New Mexico, feeling assured I had at least captured one of the Conklin murderers. 
On arriving at Socorro, I was at once informed that I had Abron all right, that my second prisoner is Macias Baca, a cousin of the murderers, but not incriminated in the crime. I was treated royally by the citizens and officers of Socorro. They were delighted that one of the murderers had been captured, and promptly counted out to me $250 as their part of the reward offered for the apprehension of one of the criminals. Colonel Eaton, head deputy sheriff of the county, issued me a receipt for the body of Abrin Baca delivered inside the jail of Socorro County, New Mexico. This receipt, forwarded to the governor of the territory, promptly brought me a draft for $250 and a letter of thanks from His Excellency. Early in April, about one month after the capture of Abram Baca, I learned from Santiago Cooper, a friend that lived in Isleta, that he had seen a man at Zaragoza, Mexico, who, from the description, he believed to be Anafrio Baca. I told Cooper I would give him $25 if he would go back to Zaragoza and find out to a certainty if the person he had seen was Anafrio Baca. A week later, Cooper came to me and said the man at Zaragoza was Baca, and that the murderer was clerking in the one big store of the town. This store was a long adobe building situated against a hill with the front facing so that one riding up to the front of it would bring his saddle skirts almost on a level with the building because of the terraces in front of it made necessary by the slope of the hill. Enofrio was of a florid complexion with dark red hair which made it easy to identify him. I kept this information about the murderer to myself for nearly a week while I pondered over it. I was anxious to capture Baca, yet I well knew from previous experience that if I caused him to be arrested in Mexico, the authorities there would turn him loose, especially when the influence of wealthy relatives was brought to bear. Knowing he would follow the law to the letter, I dare not take Captain Baylor into my confidence. Saragossa, a little town of about 500 inhabitants, is situated about four miles southwest of Isleta, while it is only about a mile from the Rio Grande as the crow flies, yet because of the many farms and big irrigation ditches, it was impossible to enter or leave the town only by following the public road between Isleta and Saragossa. It has always been the delight of border Mexicans to get behind an adobe wall or on top an adobe house and shoot to ribbons any hated gringo that might be unfortunately caught on the Mexican side of the river. I knew only too well from my own experience that I cannot go into Saragossa, attempt to arrest a Mexican, stay there five minutes and live. Yet I determined to take the law in my own hands and make the attempt. I took into my confidence just one man, George Lloyd. If ever there was an ace in the ranger service, he was one. I unfolded my plans to him. I did not have to point out the danger to him, for he had lived on the Rio Grande ten times as long as I. Sergeant, that is an awful dangerous and risky piece of business, and I will have to have a little time in which to think it over, he said when I talked with him. The next day, Lloyd came to me and said, Sergeant, I will go anywhere in the world with you. Though willing to accompany me, I could tell he doubted our ability to execute the capture. I planned to attempt the capture of Baca the next morning and sent Cooper back to Saragossa to look over the situation there once more. He informed me on his return that Baca was still clerking in the store. I now told Lloyd to keep our horses up when the animals were turned out to graze next morning. This move caused no special thought or comment, for the men frequently would keep their horses to ride downtown. As soon as we had crossed the Rio Grande into Mexico, I planned to quit the public road, travel through the Bosques, pass around on the west side of Saragossa, and ride quickly up to the store in which our man was working. 
Lloyd was to hold the horses while I was to dismount, enter the store, and make the arrest. Then, if possible, I was to mount Baca behind Lloyd and make a quick getaway. Our plans were carried out almost to the letter. We reached Zaragoza safely, and while Lloyd held my horse in front of the store, I entered and discovered Baca measuring some goods for an old Mexican woman. I stepped up to him, caught him in the collar, and with a drawn pistol ordered him to come with me. The customer promptly fainted and fell on the floor. Two other people ran from the building, screaming at the top of their voices. Baca hesitated about going with me, and in broken English asked me where he was to be taken. I informed him to Paso del Norte. I shoved my pistol right up against his head and ordered him to step lively. When we reached our horses, I made Baca mount behind Lloyd. I then jumped into my saddle, and waving my pistol over my head, we left Saragossa on a dead run. Our sudden appearance in the town and our more sudden leaving bewildered the people for a few minutes. They took in the situation quickly, however, and began ringing the old church bell rapidly, and this aroused the whole population. As I left Saragossa, I saw men getting their horses together, and knew that in a few minutes a posse would be following us. When we had gone two miles, almost at top speed, I saw that Lloyd's horse was failing, and we lost a little time, changing back out of my mount. We had yet two miles to go, and through deep sand most of the way, I could see a cloud of dust and shortly a body of mounted men hove in view. It was a tense moment. Lloyd thought it was all off with us, but we still had a long lead and our horses were running easily. As our pursuers made a bend in the road, we discovered nine men in pursuit. As soon as they had drawn up within six hundred yards, they began firing on us. This was at a long range and did no damage. In fact, I believe they were trying to frighten rather than to wound us, as they were just as likely to hit Baca as either of us. We were at last at the Rio Grande, and while it was almost one hundred yards wide, it was flat and shallow at the ford. I hit the water running, and as I mounted the bank on good old Texan soil, I felt like one who has made a home run in a World Series baseball game. Our pursuers halted at the river, so I pulled off my hat, waved to them, and disappeared up the road. We lost no time in reaching camp, and our appearance there with a prisoner and two run-down horses caused all the boys in quarters to turn out. Captain Baylor noticed the gathering and hurried over to camp. Sergeant, who is this prisoner you have? he asked, walking straight up to me. I replied it was Enofrio Baca, the man that had murdered Mr. Conklin. The captain looked at the run-down horses, wet with sweat, and asked me where I had captured him. Down the river, I replied, trying to evade him. From the looks of your horse, I would think you had just run out of a fight. Where down the river did you capture this man? I saw the captain was going to corner me, and I thought I might as well fess up. I told him I had arrested Baca at Saragossa and kidnapped him out of Mexico. Captain Baylor's eyes at once bulged to twice their natural size. Sergeant, that is the most imprudent act you have ever committed in your life. Don't you know that it is a flagrant violation of the law and is sure to cause a breach of international comedy that might cause the governor of Texas to disband the whole of Company A? Not only this, but it was a most hazardous undertaking, and it is a wonder to me that the Mexicans did not shoot you and Lloyd into doll rags. Captain Baylor was plainly out of patience with me. Gillette, you have less sense than I thought you had, he declared heatedly. If you have any explanation to make, I would like to have it. I reminded the captain of the tragic fate of Morgan and Brown and how the authorities at Guadalupe had turned their murderers, Skevel and Molina, loose. 
I declared that had I had Baca arrested in Mexico, he would have gone scot-free with his rich and influential friends to help him. Baylor declared that two wrongs did not make one right, and said I should have consulted him. I finally told the captain frankly that I had been in the ranger service six years, had risen from the ranks to be orderly sergeant at a salary of only fifty dollars a month. I pointed out that this was the highest position I could hope to get without a commission, and while one had been promised to me at the first vacancy, yet I could see no early hope of obtaining it, as every captain in the battalion was freezing to his job. This remark seemed to amuse Captain Baylor and somewhat eased his anger. I went on to say that I not only wanted the $500 reward offered for Baca, but I wanted the notoriety I would get if I could kidnap the murderer out of Mexico without being killed in the attempt. For I believe the notoriety would lead to something better than a ranger or sergeancy. And this is what really happened, for I subsequently became first assistant marshal of El Paso under Dallas Stoudemire at a salary of $150 per month. And in less than a year after my arrest of Enofrio Baca, I was made chief of police of that city at a salary that enabled me to get a nice start in the cattle business. Sergeant, you can go with your man, Captain Baylor finally said. But it is against my best judgment. I ought to escort him across the Rio Grande and set him free. I lost no time in sending a ranger to the stage office at Isleta with instructions to buy two tickets to Mesilla, New Mexico, and one to El Paso. The stage was due to pass our quarters about twelve o'clock, so I did not have long to wait. I took Lloyd as a guard as far as El Paso and there turned him back, making the remainder of the journey to Scaro, New Mexico, alone with the prisoner. I reached the old town of Mesilla, New Mexico at dark, after a rather exciting day. I was afraid to put Baca in jail at that place, as I had no warrant nor extradition papers upon which to hold him, and feared the prison authorities might not re-deliver Baca to me next morning. The stagecoach from Mesilla to Rincon did not run at night, so I secured a room at the hotel, and chaining the prisoner to me, we slept together. On the following day, we reached Rincon, the terminus of the Santa Fe Railroad at that time, I wired the officers of Socorro, New Mexico, from El Paso, that I had captured Baca and was on my way to New Mexico with him. Baca's friends had also been informed of his arrest and lost no time in asking the governor of New Mexico to have me bring the prisoner to Santa Fe as they feared mob violence at Socorro. When I reached San Marcial, I was handed a telegram from the governor ordering me to bring Baca to Santa Fe and on no account to stop with him in Socorro. Because of the delay on the railroad, I did not reach Socorro until late at night. The minute the train stopped at that town, it was boarded by twenty-five or thirty armed men, headed by Deputy Sheriff Eden. I showed Eden the governor's telegram, but he declared Baca was wanted at Socorro, and that was where he was going. I remonstrated with him and declared I was going on to Santa Fe with the prisoner. By this time, a dozen armed men had gathered around me and declared, Not much will you take him to Santa Fe. I was furious, but I was practically under arrest and powerless to help myself. Baca and I were transferred from the train to a big bus that was in waiting. The jailer entered first, and Baca was seated next to him, and I sat next to the door with my Winchester in my hand. The driver was ordered to drive to the jail. It was a bright moonlit night, and we had not traveled far up the street before I looked out and saw at least a hundred armed men. They came from every direction. Boys, did you ever encounter a mob? I assure you it was far from a pleasant feeling when you face one. The men swarmed around the bus. Three or four of them grabbed the horses by the bridle reins and held them, while others tried to force the bus doors. 
I asked the jailer if I could depend on him to help me stand the mob off, but he replied it would do no good. I was now madder than ever, and for the first time in my life I ripped out an oath, saying, Gee dang them, I'm going to stand them off. As the doors were forced, I poked my Winchester out and ordered the mob to stand back or I would shoot. The men paid no more attention to my gun than if it had been a brown stick. The man standing beside the bus door seized the muzzle of my rifle and with a quick jerk to one side, caused it to fly out of my hand and out upon the ground. By this time, another of the mob grabbed me in the collar and proceeded to pull me out of the bus. I spread my legs and tried to brace myself, but another hard and quick jerk landed me out on the ground, where one of the men kicked me. I was tame now and made no effort to draw my pistol. One of the crowd said to me, What the H do you mean? We do not wish to hurt you, but we're going to hang that darn Mexican right now. I then informed the mob of the nature of Baca's arrest and told them that the hanging of the prisoner would place me in an awkward position. And two, the reward offered by the Territory of New Mexico was for the delivery of the murder inside the jail doors of Socorro County. The leaders of the crowd consulted for a few minutes and then concluded I was right. They ordered me back into the bus, gave me my Winchester, and we all started for the jail. As soon as Baca had been placed in prison, Deputy Sheriff Eaton sat down and wrote me a receipt for the delivery of Baca inside the jail doors. By this time, day was just beginning to break, and I tried to stay the hanging by making another talk. The mob interpreted my motive and invited me to step down a block to their community room where they would talk with me. I started with them, and we had gone only a hundred yards before the whole mob broke back to the jail. I started to go with them, but two men held me, saying, It's no use, they are going to hang him. The men took Baca to a nearby corral and hanged him to a big beam of the gate. The next morning, Baca's relatives came to me at the hotel with hats in their hands and asked me for the keys with which to remove the shackles from the dead man's legs. As I handed them the keys, I felt both mortified and ashamed. A committee of citizens at Socorro waited on me just before I took the train for home, counted out to me $250 as their part of the reward and thanked me for capturing the two murderers. The committee assured me that it stood ready to help me financially or otherwise should I get involved with the federal government over the capture and kidnapping of an Efriu Baca. I presume the relatives of young Baca reported his kidnapping to our government, for a few weeks after his capture, Mr. Blaine, Secretary of State, wrote a long letter to Governor Roberts regarding a breach of international comity. Governor Roberts wrote Captain Baylor for a full explanation of the matter. Captain Baylor, while never countenancing a wrongdoing in his company, would stand by his men to the last ditch when they were once in trouble. He was a fluent writer, and no man in Texas understood better than he the many foul and outrageous murders that had been committed along the Rio Grande, the perpetrators of which had evaded punishment and arrest by crossing over into Mexico. Baylor wrote so well and so to the point that nothing further was said about the matter. Only an order came to Captain Baylor, admonishing him never again to allow his men to follow fugitives into Mexico. Soon afterward, the Safety Committee of Socorro, New Mexico, wrote to Captain Baylor, saying... We are informed by a reliable party that Jose Baca, of Esleta, Texas, has hired a Mexican to kill Sergeant Gillette. Steps have been taken to prevent this. However, he would do well to be on the lookout. Baylor at once went to Judge Baca with his letter, but the jurist denied in the most emphatic terms any knowledge of the reported plot. Also, there was a report current in both Esleta and El Paso that a reward of $1,500 had been offered for the delivery of Sergeant Gillette's body to the Mexican authorities at El Paso del Norte. Upon investigation, I found that no such offer had ever been made, but for safety's sake, I kept out of Mexico for several years. 
The kidnapping of Vaca aroused much comment and gave me a deal of notoriety. And, as I had anticipated, it was not long in bearing the fruit I desired, promotion into larger and more remunerative fields of work. End of chapter 18